You're listening to the Creatively Connected Classroom, episode number 12. Welcome to the Creatively Connected Podcast from Education Closet, connecting teachers and ideas one glue stick at a time. Here's your hosts and K 12 Art Chat founders, Matt and Laura Grundler. Well, welcome back to the Creatively Connected Classroom. We're so glad to have you listening to the podcast. And today we have our good friend, Kelly McGee, as our guest on the Creatively Connected Classroom. And we've known Kelly for a while. She's a fellow Texan and her big thing is curriculum writing. So we're going to talk to her a little bit about a chat that she recently hosted on K-12 Art Chat and find out why she loves curriculum. So welcome to the podcast, Kelly. Hey, thank you for having me. Absolutely. Super excited to have you. So tell us a little bit about your educational journey and why you're like such a curriculum go-getter. Go-getter. <laughs> well, <laughs> I um, kind of fell into art education. I went to school at University of North Texas and I was in the art program, but I hadn't really found my home. I just knew I wanted to go into art. And I ended up in art education and the curriculum writing part from day one was like my favorite part, planning out how everything was going to be. And then I started teaching and I decided I was going to go to the University of Florida and uh, all my capstone research and everything ended up being in curriculum too. And then my second year of teaching, the fine arts director at the time came to me and said, hey, we're starting curriculum writing through elementary. Would you be one of the elementary curriculum writers. And I said, yes, being super new. I was like, sure, I'll do everything. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> I've now been on that team for over six years and we've been writing and then rewriting and then new standards came out and then we rewrote it again. And then we switched to nine weeks last year or we're starting this year. So last year we spent our whole year like reorganizing units. And so I got my master's in art education and I just finished last year a master's in educational leadership. And so I'm just really passionate about how curriculum connects to why we're teaching and why we're there and why art is is so vitally important to have curriculum and that we're a core subject. Wow. I agree. That's that's a lot of... That was awesome. (laughs) Well, I'm just curious, like what you're rooted in as far as your curriculum philosophy. I know a lot of people do. Well, we've had a lot of talks about you know, DBE or tab or even really curriculum design, what your philosophy is around that as far as like, do you use backwards design? Where do you start? All of my learning is in backward design. I, my undergrad and graduate coursework was all in backward design. My district is in backward design model where they brought in Jay McTithe and Daisy McTithe. And so I've been able to learn. And I really think that that's so important to have those standards and the core learning, the understanding, the knowledge and the skills first, before you go into that learning plan part. And in regards to the different styles of teaching, if you are teaching in any school, in any state, you are a teacher of the standards and you are there to teach the standards of whatever state you're at. And so having that curriculum sets you up. So whether you love DBAE or BTS or visual culture, TAB even, you have to have all of those rooted in the standards and have that organization to what you're teaching so that your practice models what the kids have to know. 
Okay. So, I mean, you were mentioning the standards and that's your pretty much your route for everything there. What do you think about the national standard, the art standards? I mean, how do you feel about, you know, how to pull them in? Are they something that can easily be pulled in? Are they something that teachers might struggle with? Are they, or what do you think about them? Well, being in Texas, we don't follow the national standards. So our Mm -hmm. curriculum and all our curriculum work is based in the Texas Essential Knowledge and Skills, the TEKS. And so Mm -hmm. I think that they overlap in so many ways that I don't actively like look at the national standards. I have to look at those state of Texas standards and then teach that. So if we're just looking at standards as a whole, laying out each of the standards, no matter what area you're from, to plan out what your teaching is. You have to have a scope and sequence to your year or you're not going to fit it all in. You have to make a plan to when you're going to teach what and to what extent that grade level has to know that standard for the students to be able to learn it. If you don't know what they have to know, they're not going to ever learn it. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. So how do you go about pulling in the the general standards or do you or do you pull in any generalized standards you mean like like art integration like pulling in other subject matters i mean ela standards or ell standards or anything like that okay well when it comes to those like cross-curricular standards i think that we all support each other we're all there with the same end in mind like if we're studying line and you are integrating line into your like that's your unit that you're teaching in then we should be using perpendicular and parallel so if you are teaching something that aligns with vocabulary using rulers terminology and things that apply like historical time periods anytime that it blends over into other subjects is when it becomes more meaningful for students. When they can apply learning from place to place to place, that's when they truly know and understand. So just out of curiosity, how would you work with a administrator that wants you to actively seek out or overlap standards, even though we know they naturally align? That's really, I don't know if I asked that well, but you know, sometimes. You mean teaching I'm, like the other subject over your own? Is that what Yeah, you're you know, about? there are times, and I'm, I guess I just need to be more blunt about this. There are times where I feel like, or at least my, some teachers I work with or teachers I've, I've talked to around the country sometimes feel like they have to be a teacher of literacy or they have to be a math teacher. And they know as an art teacher that, the art standards link into all of that, but at the same time, their administration saying, no, you, you need to put this at the front. And they don't see how that, they don't see how they tie in. They, so I guess that's what I'm asking. How would you help administrators or help those teachers speak to administrators about their content and their curriculum so that they can help make those natural connections more visible to administration? Okay. I, of course, believe that our standards are just equally as important to any other subject area. And I try to advocate that in every moment that I'm interacting with my administrators. So sitting down and anything is from my conference for an evaluation, anything as small as just having like a science night, I set out my kiln and we put out the science of clay and the process of clay, like incorporating how art connects but it still be solely art is really important. And that has really engaged my administrator. So somebody that's come in and say, Hey, I really want to have literacy night. 
people, I was like, well, why don't we have fine arts night? And then we have that literacy section, but then we have artwork and we have the orchestra and all the other fine arts content areas engaged in that area too. So kind of showing them that we have our, uh, we're our own entity, but we can uh, apply over to those different areas. And when it go, comes to like connecting to like literacy, visual literacy is the first literacy that students have as right. small children, like watching my kid grow up, he can sit there and read a book by just the pictures, but he's three and he cannot read the words, but he visually understands. And so we live in a visual world and for the mass population, visually is how you're in the world. I mean, reading itself is a visual literacy. You have to understand the symbols and every country has a different symbol. So I guess you just have to be an advocate for yourself and passionate about what you truly do and really understanding the standards. Because if you don't understand your standards, then you cannot advocate for what they are and what you have to be teaching. So if you don't understand what the standards are and you haven't thoroughly read and dissected it and understand the actual language that's inside, then you can't advocate for yourself wholeheartedly agree, (laughs) which I think is why curriculum design is so important. I think that I'm unfortunately a little older than you, but I don't know that I I felt like I understood curriculum design until I'd been teaching quite a bit longer than you have. And it made so much more sense when it started to click and thinking in terms of units versus just a project that we're doing. Oh, we're just doing a, a thinking of a unit of drawing versus a contour line project, you know, and really associating that with essential questions Mm -hmm. and pulling out the inquiry out of the students and getting that discussion and dialogue going. It just makes for such a much more rich experience for the students, a more rigorous experience. And I wonder how you would encourage teachers to really understand or take the time to understand what curriculum design is all about. Right. And I feel like when I start talking about curriculum of so many people's eyes, just kind of start glazing over like, oh, no, what is she (laughs) going to try to tell me I have to do? Uh And really, when you start going in and saying, I don't do curriculum, they're just giving it to me. You're really doing a disservice to yourself because just as you just said, if you kind of like dig in and like really understand, okay, I'm going to really understand this grade level standards and then figure out when you have to teach them throughout the year, give yourself that scope and sequence. And then in that language, it tells you what they have to understand. And then within that language, it tells them you the knowledge and skills they have to know. So then it gives you this big overarching unit just by mm-hmm. looking at it, by being able to dissect it out. And then you come up with a learning plan. So no, what, no matter what style, tab, DBA, visual culture, all of the things that you align with, if you're teaching all of the standards and you're giving them all the knowledge and skills, then they're going to have a well-rounded education. And I guess I kind of come from the belief that if you put yourself in one camp, then you are not, you can't do it all. You have to take a little bit out of everything. And Mm -hmm. so giving the kids choice, setting your art room up with student centered, like a tab kind of style, having art critique, having art history, having contemporary visual culture, having contemporary artists. You have to have all of those things for you to have a full curriculum. I couldn't agree more. I mean, Matt and I've talked about that a lot. It's, I have a hard time with labels. Mm -hmm. And I mean, we've even, you know, he's a big design thinker, 
But, oh, yeah, that's another one I forgot to even. Yeah, say. would you call yourself a design thinking teacher? No, no, because it's just it's thought, it's creatively thinking, and I mean that's really it's not that it has to be a certain way. It's just those are that's just another piece you're pulling into the puzzle, right? Right, and I think that that's a huge, that's a great <laughs> metaphor. It's another piece you're pulling into the puzzle because there's so many great pieces of pedagogy out there that to only use one and not pull the great things from all of them as needed, you know, especially when you look at your students and put that piece to the puzzle too, what do your students need? That's huge. So I would have a hard time. I I know it's a touchy subject probably, but there, I would have a hard time labeling myself as anything other than an art educator. Right. And I like to label myself as I'm an artist. I'm teaching my kids how to be artists too, through the state standards. And I have a good friend and our fine arts director who always says, you might be the one artist in this child's life. The one artist that they get to see in real life that they have a connection with, that they feel valued by, that they're getting input from. And if you aren't teaching them all the things they have to know, then you're not doing your job. The standards are your job. That's why your state has hired you and said you have a position and they've given you that place in your school. And if you're not there and teaching all of the standards, then what are you doing? Because it goes back. We've had a lot of discussions too, even in a couple previous podcasts about what your why is mm-hmm. like, really, why are you doing this? I mean, yeah. it's clearly not an easy job. So no. think about mm-hmm. it is, is right. what is your purpose behind it? Well, and, and I think, I know we've talked about this before when I, Grew up, I was homeschooled. I'm like the elementary teacher that did not go to public school or in elementary age. And I loved to make. My grandmother would throw all kinds of supplies in the middle of the floor. I would make things. I would draw. I would paint. I had all of the making and the love of art that I still have today. I love to make. I am an artist through and through. But then I would. I grew up and I went into public school and I had all these things to catch up on. And I didn't take art in middle school but one year. I didn't take art again until my senior year of high school. And I knew I wanted to do art when I grew up, but I didn't have the vocabulary. I didn't have the understanding because I just got these little glimpses throughout my life. So I got to college and I was like, oh my gosh, I don't know. What is the color wheel? Like I literally (laughs) could not mix the color. I like had to teach myself stuff that I teach my five-year-olds in school now. And so I always felt like that was such a like kind of like shame, like weakness. Like I can't tell people I don't know this stuff. (laughs) I'm literally like in college for this and I don't know it. And I'm having to teach myself. And so even as a beginning teacher, I was like, so like, am I saying the right thing? Am I like, did I learn it right myself? And so now it's like, I have gone through and seen the power of me having to know that stuff. And now I feel so empowered that I'm able to teach those young children things that I had to take almost my lifetime to learn. And it's like so important to me. It's it's improved my artwork. It's improved my art making. It's improved my way I can talk about art. It's improves the way I look at art. And if I can give those skills to little baby five-year-olds all the way up and throughout their entire educational career, that is power. 
Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Okay, so we actually have two questions I'm thinking about. Okay. The first one, because you were talking about building the student skills, how would you suggest or what would you do to help build the student skills in like talking? Because you were also mentioning about vocabulary and, you know, you knowing those words even at a later point versus earlier point, how would you build that, the students throughout the year? Because, you know, we kind of go, oh yeah, here's the vocabulary. Okay, now we're going to move on. Okay, then, <laughs> oh yeah, do you guys remember that? No, I don't remember anything. So. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then well, you get them in ninth grade and they're like, I never yeah. learned that. And, Wait well, a minute. I know uh, you did. <laughs> I'm really, I really am lucky at where I am and what I am and the support that I get, I, from day one, I was like, whatever the other classroom teachers are learning, I want to know those things. And I think that's what has been, been able to make me such a strong advocate because they don't get my language, but I get their language. So I'm able to then transform that into something that they understand. In regards to vocabulary, we, our campus is an assessment for learning campus. The text by Jan Shapui kind of guides our work. And that means that we have learning targets posted. We have vocabulary posted in regards to what our targeted learning is. And then we have these overarching units that follow the elements and principles of design. So if you just look at our curriculum from the beginning and you're just glancing over the scope and sequence, you're like, oh, you're missing it all because you're just looking at the elements and principles. But layered within is contemporary artists, movement. We do art movement with my younger grade levels to teach them the elements and principles and teach them the vocabulary that's within it. So they're creating the artwork. My third and fourth and fifth graders have sketchbooks that they're writing learning targets. They're writing their contemporary artists of the day. They're participating in sketch of the day. They're having that routine and organization to your teaching schedule makes it to where they can look They know where to find the vocabulary. They know to walk in and they know what the word media is. They know what the word skill is and they can go in and read that learning target and they don't have to ask me what we're doing. It's not like a project that we're doing. They come in, they know where places are that they're going to get their sketchbooks, they're going to get their stuff. And so it builds up their ability to guide their own learning and create their own work, but have it all deeply rooted in the vocabulary and knowledge and skills of the standards. Wow. I know. I'm I'm just blown away. I'm like, wow. I don't, you know, I I don't know that people understand how involved K through five can be or Mm -hmm. should be really, I guess that's what I should say is that it it should be. That's the way what you're describing to me is this ideal. It's it's amazing. Mm -hmm. I love it. Utopia. You mentioned contemporary artists of the day. How do you include contemporary artists with younger kids? Well, I went to... A in service by Ann Davies and Sandra Herbst. And they talked about how students need that soft landing into class. And so when I was thinking about having a soft landing and they come into class, I'm always the one that's like, all right, welcome to class. We're doing this, this, and this, and this is where you need to get this. And so last year I took a really big stop and think about how my kids are coming into class and how I would want to come into class. And so my third, fourth, and fifth graders come in and they have sketchbooks and we have them sectioned out into like the learning target section, the sketch of the day section, a growth section, a self-evaluation section, and then like a free making section. So our sketchbooks are pretty involved. And then they come in, they write their learning target. The contemporary artist of the day is up on the screen and it's just their name. And when I started last year, we would just 
I would give them a quick overview. This is who our artist of the day is. Um, they have five minutes to write their learning target and write their artist's name and do their sketch of the day. And so then they close their sketchbooks and we would talk about who the artist was. And then we would watch a two minute clip. And then throughout the year, so they have a new one each time they came to class throughout the year. I was like, okay, we need to make sure we're traveling all around the world. So then I put up a map and I would show the kids where the artist was from to kind of get that global connection to them. And then I was like, well, you know what? I should show them a, a picture or two of what the artist's work looks like or a picture of the artist. So then I, then I added that slide in. So it all is up on my screen. So I have the artist's name now. I have a picture and all of the names of the artists all around the world that we've studied throughout the year. And then I talk no more than a minute about the artists and why we're studying them or why I want them to have that glimpse. And then we'll watch the two minute video. So within all of this stuff, it's never taken more than seven minutes of my class for them to come in, make us do their sketch of the day, write their learning target and all of those things, and then incorporate the contemporary artists. And I think it's really important to have those contemporary artists because I feel like the years before I would incorporate them, like when it kind of went with what we were doing but I was really doing my kids a disservice. At one point I was like, okay, my big idea and essential question for this next year is what is art? And I was like, I feel like I'm getting real rudimentary here, like picking that, but I have done my kids such a disservice that they think of art and they think just of drawing and painting and clay. And so many of them think that. And so yes. I was so intentional last year of like, using people like Carl Kroll and Golan Levin that are doing like technology-based things and then doing work like Casey, showing Casey Zavalia that does the stitching work and then turns it backwards for to start teaching some of that like social emotional like meaning of who we are inside and how art can do that. And then we switched over to like Ocean Soul the next week and talked about how we can make our world a better place and give people jobs by creating sculptures out of flip-flops. And so my kids this year coming in, they're like so much more into what could be than before. Before they would come in and be like, all right, we're gonna we're gonna draw and then we're gonna paint and then we're gonna do this. We have the stations, we can pick what we wanna do in each studio. And now they're like, okay, what can I do? I mean, I had a student this week sit down and he goes, This year, if I wanna make something out of animation, do you think you could teach me how to do that? I was like, you know. I think we could find a time to do that. And yeah. I don't think we would have ever had that conversation if I hadn't given them a glimpse of what art could be. And so I like used to have big ideas and essential questions that rotated, but I was like, this year, my job is to teach them all the many things that art could be. Cause I don't feel like I had been doing that well enough before. And so by using contemporary artists, I have changed so many kids' perceptions of what art is and what art can be. Hi there, it's Susan Riley from Education Closet. As Kelly has pointed out in this episode, curriculum design can have a huge impact on the success of our students. If you'd love to integrate the arts into your curriculum, but don't have time to create your own, check out our integrated curriculum. It includes 109 lessons for grades K to 5 with all the PowerPoints, assessments, and student materials that you need. And grades 6 through 12 are being added this January. Check it out at educationcloset.com forward slash integrated dash curriculum. Now let's get back to the conversation. You know, it's interesting when you're talking about the essential questions because I'm thinking about 
the as a curriculum coordinator working with the teams that write the curriculum for our department. And when we talk about essential questions, the same questions come up no matter the grade level. Right. What is art being mm-hmm. one of the primary questions? And it's right. almost like you have a common vocabulary K through 12, or at least we mm-hmm. do, that these are terms that every child should know Right from kindergarten through 12th grade. These are art terms they should know. And then it almost seems like there are some essential questions that just naturally repeat themselves mm-hmm. because, mm-hmm. you know, what is art? Well, when you're seven, your perception of art if you have an amazing teacher like Kelly McGee, you know, really well expanded, but for a lot of kids, it's, it's not as layered or as involved, but then hopefully by the time you get through 10th grade and then you're in AP art, you're like, Oh, my, what is art is so different than, you know, so, you know, you said the term rudimentary, Mm -hmm. it's a simple question, but it's not a simple Mm -hmm. question. It's so, I mean, and like, even for myself, as a teacher, like I knew these artists that I chose for my artist of the day, but then going through and watching the video clips of their why, their process to try to make a two minute clip of why I want my kids to like know about them has made my why about art different than it was a year ago. So, I mean, it's so, it, that's why it's an essential question. It's global. (laughs) Like it it will ever change. If your question could be answered, it's not an essential question. (laughs) Like it can be be able to grow and forever change. Yeah, absolutely. If it can't create a conversation, you know, because two people don't have the same answer, then it's a good solid, or I should say, it is a good solid question if it can do that. Yeah, for sure. Well, just kind of on the same vein, I mean, essential questions come from backwards design or UBD, mm-hmm. however you want to call it. I'm thinking about enduring understanding. So are there any thoughts you have around enduring understanding or something? You know, a lot of people, a lot of teachers didn't learn backwards design. It, it certainly wasn't something I learned in the 90s when I was in college. I've since learned that, but... I think understanding really what an enduring understanding helped make it click for me. So would you explain really your thoughts around an enduring understanding? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So much pressure. (laughs) (laughs) Teach us, Kelly. Teach us. Really, I feel that enduring understandings are things that you have to believe that they're rooted in a standards, the things the kids have to know. But enduring understandings are the understandings that transform time, that scaffold and build as you are learning and growing as a person, as an artist, as a community, that they're what the kids have to understand, that we have to understand, and we have to teach them how to build and grow and understand and according to that they're ever-growing learning in art. I, you know, I think of them as the sticky things. right. Yeah. You know, the things that that. I know that sounds weird, but I, in my mind, like I imagine the kiddo that I had in the ninth grade. (laughs) And I think about that kiddo now that's much older. And I hope that there was something that stuck with them in terms of art that they could say. And maybe they made that deep transfer, you know, and they, it was that, that stickiness that now when they go into a museum, they can say, Oh, I understand that composition. You know, I, 
I can read that piece of artwork. I can, you know, those kinds of things that I always think the thing that I want my students, if I have a five-year-old, maybe the thing that they remember when they're 30, you know, that kind of thing. So yeah, the thing like you're here, like, yes, we're here to teach the standards and the curriculum and that's her job, but you're that artist in their life to make them appreciate their whole visual world. You could have an influence on how they design their house, how they pick out their clothes, how they design their letterhead for their future business or what their logo will look like or what their sports team uniform colors will be. So, I mean, everything is rooted so much in our visual world that if we're able to give them that enduring belief and understanding, I mean, so important. I mean, I just enlightened a middle school student today. We were, you know, we had been studying the past two days, the elements of art and Mm -hmm. creating visual collages to help them understand what those elements were. And then we moved on to the principles of design. And it became, it was really interesting because a lot of them were like, they got to the point by the end of class today where they're like, well, this could be, you know, this principle or this principle. And then they're like, well, which one do you think it should be? And I'm like, to be honest with you, it could be both. And all of a sudden they're like, how you use it, right? They're like, wait, it can be more than just one. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. yes, it can be more than just one. I said that I said, art isn't just one element or one principle. It's all of them. It's, it's Mm -hmm. the design and the organization of them. And so they were just, it was just so funny. I had Mm -hmm. several and different points throughout the day that were just like, Wait. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, the elements and principles came way after we've been makers since the beginning of time, like yes. beginning oh, yeah. of time. We've been makers. We didn't like all of a sudden, like decide everything has to fit in this little box in the 1900s. Right. Like The words give us a way to make sense of what works and what doesn't work. And so giving, I mean, the vocabulary itself within the elements and principles are one of those like enduring understandings like that's something that's really important for kids to transfer on their learning mm-hmm. you're one of the most passionate people i know around this subject and it's really exciting <laughs> to talk to you well, especially when you're in the midst of writing well when, yeah because you and i live a separate <laughs> regard hold on i'm well, you. And just that <laughs> in a good way in a, in good, a good way, way. great way i did you Yes, I have no idea what you said. <laughs> You're like frozen like this on my screen. <laughs> like laughing. Okay. You're there again. But I have no idea what you said. That's okay. It's really nice though. <laughs> I don't remember what I said either. So oh, very yeah, similar oh, you know what? I I was just talking, you know, I was thinking about curriculum and how important it is and just I hope that for teachers that are listening to this that haven't really maybe had the opportunity to learn about curriculum design, that this sparks something for them to think about it in a new way or that. I think just to see the importance of it, because we all go, oh, yeah, we these are things that we teach. But to see where the the learning can really, truly happen, to see where we can create that learning by making those connections and getting them to look further and look harder then. Yeah. 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 Well, and I think one of the things that's cool about Kelly is that she's always learning, Mm -hmm. always reading, always growing. And I love that about her. What would you suggest Kelly for people that, you know, they didn't learn curriculum design in college. That wasn't something they had. And, you know, they've been teaching and 
it's they're plugging along, but maybe they want to to learn more about UBD or backwards design. What resources or or outlets or suggestions would you have for them? I mean, I know there's a lot of online resources. If you just type in backward design or understanding by design, Jay McTithe and Grant Wiggins' work is a great like start. The Davis publications, like the art curriculum books, you know, the teacher series, I think it's called art and curriculum. I believe is the title. That's actually, if you look at it, you know, their quote, Jay McTwyth and Grant Wiggins are quoted in it and it talks about backwards design. So that's a great art resource to connect into that. But before you, I mean, even get into that reading, if you just sit down with your standards and really decide if you are teaching everything. I think that's the perfect, simple way to start to look at each standard and not just like teaching them, see what they have to understand, see what they have to know and how you're going to assess that they know that. And then you can come up with your plan. I think that's a really simple way to before diving into the deep end, but those are good resources. That's an excellent, <laughs> that's an excellent suggestion. I couldn't agree more. You know, we were talking, we've been talking the whole time about, you know, making that impact on students. Sometimes there are those kids that just don't quite grasp the goal you're trying to get to. Right. What it, I mean, what is reteaching look like, I guess, for you? How do you handle that? And because I'm sure there's a lot of teachers that kind of like, oh, why aren't they getting it? Right. So. Well, and I think well, later, I don't have time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or, yeah. I don't have time to do that. I think that having the plan in the first place gives you the ability to scaffold it in a way that gives you the time to have that flex day of digging in with those kids that don't get it. So like if I know for my beginning five weeks of school, I'm studying where the kids are studying line, rhythm, and movement and how those connect. And I know that space and proportion is coming next, that I'm planning out what those meaningful, like little small things I'm saying, what videos I'm introducing. If I have those plans, then the general universal learning is taking place. And then throughout class, I am actively monitoring engaging with kids, having those visual check-ins each class to make sure that they are picking up that skill. And if they don't get it that one moment and they're right next to me, why isn't me just bending over and saying, Hey, you know, if we're trying to make sure we know the different directions of lines right now, if you can't tell me one of the directions of line, why can't we do a fun little song or something to make sure we review over that? And if you can pull that back really quick, that was the quickest we reteach ever. It didn't take more than 30 seconds of my time. And that was a quick reteach. And if I can fix that misconception, then when we start doing different things the next week, then that that's already been fixed. If it's some, you know, ex- extreme case, like there's a mass group of kids not getting something, that's when you slow down and you have to reteach to the, the mass group. But if it's a couple kids, you know, I have real flexible seating in my classroom and pull a couple kids over next to you and sit down and review over something or have that discussion, have them look at our work. Art critiques are a great way, like midpoint check-ins, having that system in place for kids to know how to talk about their work and how to get positive conversation about different terminology within their work. Gallery walks is a great way. Have them walk around the room and stop at a kid's art that they don't know whose it is and have them recall that to another partner. You could do like an inside outside circle to where the kids are communicating with each other and that they're able to 
uh, misconceptions between each other by talking about concepts that way. I think there's so many like quick, easy, like five minute end of the class, middle of the class things that you can incorporate in your lesson that is reteaching constantly. Mm -hmm. Um, If you say it once, it doesn't mean they know it. And I feel like that's what a lot of people do with some of the standards. They're like, I said it, I'm done. If you don't layer that into so much more learning, like if I don't carry it into my next unit, it doesn't mean they're going to remember it. If I cover it three weeks out of the entire school year, then I'm kind of shooting myself in the foot when I have them the next year. Yep. Because they have to know it even more into a higher extent the next year. So that layering and scaffolding and our work in our sketchbooks and writing our learning targets gives me a good baseline that pulling those kids that don't get it the first time, it's really easy to just kind of come in and just talk them through. A lot of people think reteach. They're like, Oh gosh, I have to do this whole thing. And I have to have this other class and we're going to pull this group that doesn't get it and do it all over again. But really it's just kind of talking and checking. You're sitting at your desk. You're not actively assessing what's going on. So getting around, talking to the kids, knowing what they're doing, because it might not look like they know they're learning, but they can tell you they're learning too. And that is a, a really important part. You said the word critique. Oh, yes. I oh, <laughs> I've actually encountered situations where people have said, oh, they're, they're too little for a critique. Oh, oh I know. I agree. No. I, I would make the same. Oh, no. So talk to me about say, that. I think they... <laughs> I think when people say the word critique, they imagine their college class where the professor like put one of their artworks up on the wall and's like, everything is terrible. (laughs) (laughs) And you're like, it scarred me for life. So when they go to think about doing that with a small child, they're like understanding of what a critique and teaching kids to be critical of art is kind of skewed. And so, I mean, starting with my kids in kindergarten, we do simple things just looking at contemporary artists, like, what does this remind you of? And so then, where do you find lines in that artwork? I mean, we're on that unit right now, so that's what's on my mind. (laughs) And so, you know, breaking your class into really small segments of like five or 10 minutes can give them skills to where from young age, then they can hit third grade and we can sit down and we can circle up and we have a whole critique section of my classroom where we have places to put things up and they might not be critiquing work of a student from our class, but it's the same age group from another class. And it's not like this free for all, like, I don't like that. It's guiding them through questions of, all right, so we're looking for thick lines. Do you see evidence of thick lines in this piece of work. And it doesn't, it can, I mean, it guiding them through that conversation, it doesn't have to be this big complicated thing. It's just another way of showing their learning and their understanding of what you're trying to get them to know and see and perceive within an artwork. One of my favorite like little art critiques will like have stations set up one day and you know, all those big poster prints that we have. Mm -hmm. I mean, everyone has those. If you don't have them, you've only been teaching for like two years, I think, (laughs) because I mean, (laughs) all of our classrooms are just stacked with them and I, we've never ordered them. I just have them. And so I have a lot of those like laminated textured ones. And so We'll Uh set those out with dry erase markers. And so like this Friday, one of our like beginning to critique things with dry erase markers, we're looking for different types of lines. And so each piece of work has this label, like 
Can you find a zigzag line or can you find a thick line? Can you find a line that shows movement? And they get to draw right on a famous work of art that they're then learning about. They're visually like engaging with a historical piece of art and they're able to then group up in their like conversation time and they're able to talk to each person in their group about like, this is where I found the zigzag line. This line shows movement because, and they're talking about artwork in a critique way that if I was doing it with the whole group, it would be really boring. (laughs) You know, like we're all going to sit around and we're going to talk about this one piece of art. Does one person see one line? You've shared so much wisdom. It's amazing. That's awesome. I think one thing we like to ask is, as we start to wrap up the chat is if you had something to share with just teachers in general about what curriculum design is all about, what would it be? What would be your, your parting words of wisdom? If I could give you one tip, our word of wisdom, it would be start where you are and don't try to do it all at once. Just to go slow, pick one thing that you want to improve or incorporate, come up with a simple plan, read those standards, come up with something where you're at to be like your next step. You can't get to where I've been over the last six years plus my 10 years of teaching within that um, in one day if that's curriculum's not something that you have been involved in. So find that next step and what is simple for you to become a more curriculum focused teacher. Oh, that's good. I like it. I like it. A more curriculum focused teacher. Yeah. Excellent. Awesome. Well, Kelly, we can't thank you enough. I know you're the working mom, teacher, everything and running around chasing a toddler and a puppy and all those cool things in addition to being an amazing teacher and leader. So we really appreciate you taking the time to visit with us tonight and be on our podcast. Well, I'm super, super honored and you guys are fabulous. And I am just super honored that you asked me. Heads up, 7up friends. If you've been enjoying these episodes, be sure to subscribe to the Creatively Connected Classroom podcast. You'll get a notification every time we release a new episode each and every week. And take a screenshot and put it on your favorite social media, Twitter, Insta, Facebook, you name it. Tag Education Closet and K-12 Art Chat so we can reach out and say thanks. And if you really love us with all the feels, give us a review and or a rating over on iTunes. It helps others find the show and connect with our incredible community. Thanks for all your support.